Hello, and welcome to Pale Reflections, a proud member of the Doof Network where we reflect on Wabo's most scholastic work as it releases. I'm Ruben Morehouse. And I'm Elliot Diebold. And before we get stuck into the show uh, this week, it's worth uh, us just quickly talking about what's going to be happening over the next two weeks. Um, yeah. Now, your Elliot and I love each other very much, but sometimes we need to take a break from each other over mm. Christmas when some of us are away. <laughs> Uh, yeah, just because of the way the holiday stuff, uh, all fell down, uh, we're both going away for a week, but they're different weeks. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're, we're not going to be able to maintain our usual schedule, uh, over the holidays. Yes. But we are going to still be releasing discussions of each chapter. Now it's going to be a little weird. It's going to be a little experimental, but hopefully you guys will still enjoy the content. So don't worry, there'll still be discussion of, um, you know, when Shelley, you know, murders Avery or whatever's about to happen. <laughs> but um, that will be coming up uh, in a bit. It'll just be a slightly different format. What format will that be? Don't worry about it. We'll find out. Yeah. I, I think we've both got ideas of stuff we're going to try. So, yeah, it's going to be a bit different. Uh, and, you know, then come January, we'll sort of be back into the normal swing of things. But yeah. Uh, We'll try some different stuff, see what works, and probably also what doesn't uh, over the next two weeks. Yeah. Now, enough about that. Let's dive into these chapters, shall we? Starting with Gone Ahead 7.4, we're in Avery's head, and we pick up right where the last chapter left. Nicolette uh, is at the door, wants to do some peace talks, comes in to start talking those peace talks, and Lucy immediately starts playing hardball. (laughs) We're doing a lot of that, like, picking up right where the last chapter left off at the moment. Like... Mm. I have to believe 7.6 is going to pick up right where we left off with Shelley. I um, almost certainly, yes. Yeah, so, like I just love these really tense moments in, in these stories like this where it's just like you, every chapter is ending with a sort of, but wait, like there's more shit immediately after this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we're, we're getting right back into it, which is good. Um, and obviously from the get-go, Lucy is going hard, right? Um, really going hard on Nicolette, which is, I think, <laughs> fair, but still hurts a bit to see. Yeah, I love that comment Nicolette makes where she's like, watching you guys do this to Alexander was a lot more fun mm-hmm. than having it pointed at me. Yeah. Um, which I like. I felt as well. But um, I-, I love how this chapter just immediately puts us in like Avery space, even though, because Lucy sort of takes the lead for half the chapter. Um, but it's very much... We we get put in that Avery headspace because the chapter sort of opens with Nicolette being like, "Can I come in?" and Avery's halfway through he's saying yes before Lucy like cuts her off and does you know the smart answer. Mm. Um, obviously, I think you know that cutting off comes back later when Avery ends up taking the lead. But I, I just think it's so good at at putting us back in an Avery headspace. Mm. Mm. Yeah, right back in the space. Um... Yes. So obviously Avery takes a bit of a backseat at the very start of this chapter, um, but we will get to her reaction to all this stuff as we go, I suppose. The thing that I want to jump into Im- immediately is l- one of the first things Lucy does to open these negotiations is get permission for John to murder Nicolette if she <laughs> is like not acting in good faith, which I think is, I mean, it's great. I love it. But it's also a real marker of how bad things are getting, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it, it's like this is sort of that whole problem with the practitioner world is it feels like you have to have a gun pointed at the throat of your enemy to feel safe in negotiations. Mm. 
like you know is is this really that different to the way alexander collects ways he can forswear people mm. um so Maybe i get not. it yeah i i get it and i kind of support it in this instance but it's just it, it's it's such a yeah i don't know it's something i wish we didn't have to do mm. <laughs> yeah but i guess that's his entire situation right yeah yeah like that's the i'm willing to cut them a lot more slack in this instance because of like what the world or what the bhi is like right now yeah um yeah i mean props to nicolette for just kind of going along with it there's like that little instance where she kind of almost tries to gain say lucy um but that's just instinct um (laughs) overall she's just kind of like yeah you know what that's fair and i kind of respect that she's putting what she's here to do before any of the bullshit yeah Fair enough. I mean, it's classic Nicolette, I guess. Um, here's another interesting beat. Uh, Nicolette asks if she can talk with Tash present. Tash, who's obviously here. And John says, hold off share- on sharing anything specific to our hometown or situation. She knows some. Which indicates Tashlet is not fully in the fold. Which mm. means, I-, I would guess the Carmine Beast's murder is the stuff that is not, you know, publicized to Tash yeah. and Sig and the new others. But yeah, I don't know. I I made the same assumption that it has to be like Carmine related. Maybe some of the stuff to do with the deal with Alexander and Nicolette. Although they end up talking about that, so um, can't yeah. be that. Yeah, it has to be the Carmine Beast stuff, doesn't it? Yeah, must be surely. Which why are they incentivized to keep that a secret? I guess it just makes the situation less complicated if it's not. Public. Well, until they find out, like yeah, or until John becomes the new Carmine thing, whatever, right? Like, yeah, almost certainly that's a beat that we're going to hear. Someone stepping into the Carmine role, and you know, Tashlet's going to have to find out sooner or later. <laughs> I mean, it just feels like because I think we've already talked a little bit about how it—it's kind of weird how these new others have been brought in. And they feel like lesser members of the collective, like they share the vote and stuff. And it's like the fact that they're not even being told about what I would say is a pretty important part of the Kennett situation. Yeah. Um, it just feels kind of gross. Well, it feels like they're not really part of the group, right? They're just bodies rather than allies, yeah. you know? Yeah, exactly. They've just been hired so that, to fill numbers out so that they can defend themselves. But it's like this is like actively disingenuous because the Carmine stuff is seeding conflict throughout the town. Like if it was just that there was the murder mystery going on, I'd might be able to excuse it but like the fact that this is actually having an effect on the the town specifically it just feels weird not to bring it up Mm. yeah no i agree it's it's clearly relevant to them (laughs) (laughs) um yeah uh so here's another interaction that i liked Uh, earlier on in the in this chapter nicolet almost gainsays uh verona as you mentioned and so i think it's lucy oh lucy right then says instinct. Sorry. Then uh, you know, a, a few paragraphs later, Lucy has a similar verbal barb with Nicolette and res- responds, "Instinct, not sorry." And <laughs> I just love this. One, it's a great Lucy moment. But two, Avery just doesn't get it. She's like, Verona smiled, and I'm not sure why. Basically, <laughs> which just means she completely missed that interaction, which I just thought was very funny. I mean, she sort of guesses verbal barb, so she can't. She kind of puts yes. it together, but um. I mean, you do have to remember, this is only 10 minutes or so after she was, like, almost killed by the plastic bag head guy in the arena. Mm. Like, 
all they've done since then is just yeah. walk back to their room and like Nicolette showed up pretty soon. Yeah, um, Avery like, is clearly still not in a great place in this chapter. Yeah. Like I'm willing to cut her some slack because she she does spend like huge tracks of this par uh, of this part of the chapter being like, I just want to go to bed and snuggle. Like, can we do we have to do this now? Mm. Um yeah. Yeah. Um yeah. We'll get to that in a little bit. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, Nicolette is trying her best to get everyone on the same team, but it's increasingly clear that Lucy is not keen. Um, and, yeah, I think Lucy's right. I mean, almost certainly there isn't a good solution to this problem, but Bristow has one and Nicolette puts it forward anyway. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I love the the sort of change my view uh, attitude Lucy takes to this. Uh, but I... I it, as well, like I couldn't help but notice, like Nicolette basically opens this with the the very personal anecdote. Like she's sort of like, okay, what's your understanding of the situation? They sort of give it, and then almost out of nowhere, Nicolette just launches into like, you know, when I was a kid, my brother hurt me, and and you mm. know, like gives them her whole backstory that we got in two dot z. Um, and obviously it's great for sort of reminding us of two dot z since it was a while ago now. But um, it it's such like an unnecessarily emotional way to open the discussions that like i don't know just with the knowledge that avery takes over and i think makes good progress later on i was just you just can't help but notice how that stands out Mm. Mm. yeah you're right it's a good it's a good beat that nicolette probably will respond more to a personal appeal in this situation right yeah like yeah the fact that she chose to open with like yeah literally revealing her vulnerabilities yes uh, yeah um also i I just want to call out there's that lovely little bit where when nicolette is talking about bristow's offer uh avery whispers like a key dot she's able to connect to lucy about like the carmine beast thing invalidating the deal Mm. um and because she whispers it only lucy can hear it (laughs) it's just like like we talked about how great she was as a scout last chapter but like here i'm just like holy shit like one-way communication within a conversation like that's Mm -hmm. boss yeah no for sure the the fact that that avery can send secret messages to lucy is just i mean it's classic shenanigans fun right yeah 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 um yeah so should we talk about this deal should we talk about what nico is putting forward yeah i I, so i feel like basically the the first thing she brings up which i think is very fair is that things are a mess and it's like just putting alexander back as a headmaster isn't really going to heal all these wounds like Mm. You can't just sort of put him back and expect that, like, everything's going to be hunky-dory with everyone after a couple of weeks. Mm. Um, I don't know. Maybe you can. These are all psychopathic practitioners. Um, but, like, I feel like the crux of the case here is really that Bristow is offering this, like, bigger picture stability. And, yeah, I, I, I feel like most, most of this stuff makes sense to me. Like, he, he's offering this sort of wider network and really the kind of only gross part is that really so much of his deal seems to center around oh you're either like you know i'll give you these things which will be like they'll they'll raise your ranks in the network and they'll help you out um you know and not leave you like out to the cold like it's just as much blackmail as it is an offer yeah and i would also point out that implicitly in this deal is uh is that bristow is the you know governor or king yeah. or whatever you want to call it it's it's kind of a a kingdom or a fiefdom right where he's taxing everyone who lives in the area and if they don't sign up to the tax well he's just going to seize their property basically well but are the taxes specifically for him or are they for like the wider like i mean this is my whole 
problem with this so i'm jumping ahead of notes in a little bit but like mm -hmm. i i kind of think for the most part the the ideas that bristow is proposing are actually yeah. pretty great like I think he's right that this idea that expecting volunteers to realize a wildfire is already blazing and then put it out is really stupid when this like we met that remember that guy who was like, you know, if Yes. Like eight thousand people or whatever, yeah. Do the deal, then there's like some giant monumental other like like someone should be tracking that shit. Like that's Yes, of course. Bad. So like like you know, these core ideas are good like the problem with it really is that like bristow's putting himself on top and that's the what, what lucy calls out she's like yeah well can we do it without bristow then and nicolette's like oh i mean probably not yeah the fact that bristow's putting himself as the king of this system is obviously a problem and the other problem i think is it's so twisting your arm to be in it like i, I it's either lucy or verona who raised the idea that I think it's Lucy, that the system shouldn't be something that people are forced to stay in. It should be something where people, yes, are held to account, but also because it's a system that, that you know, in, reinforces itself by people wanting to be a part of it, right? Um, I mean, I, I don't know if I can agree with that, just because, like, like, to some extent, I think people will have to be forced to do like to get involved like i'm just saying you know, if some giant fucking monster comes out and is like yeah. terrorizing a town like there aren't going to be many people who are like oh shit yeah let's get like let's get into that you know like yeah i i, I actually like the idea of these sort of taxes or, or like the idea that you know oh if experts do it you kind of forced to get in like really if anything i feel like this should be the requirement for becoming a practitioner sort of like it's like when yeah. you take on the power of being a practitioner, the other side of that is you take on take this on responsibility. Role. Yeah, yeah. So it's like you know, as long as you want to keep being a practitioner, you have to deal with these problem elements. And if you don't like that part of it, you just want to do cool magic, then go fuck yourself. <laughs> yeah, tough luck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. Maybe that's the solution. Is not is baking it into the fact that, or or even like somehow more definitively baking in the power you get as a practitioner in correlation to the amount of good you do i don't exactly know how that would work but again kind of a system that transforms like i guess the awakening ritual and, and the agreements that you swear right yeah um, i mean i don't know how you do that um yeah. but like isn't this kind of like i'm just thinking back to like the stuff people have said about the seal of solomon like miss and um and the the guys talking about the oni stuff like this kind of sounds like what practitioners were initially created to do anyway mm. like the idea of being a practitioner was you organize human affairs and protect them from the others and and like we've just gotten so far from that, that mm. it, now it's like kind of revolutionary to consider that you should have to tie being a practitioner to doing the fucking job that it was invented for mm. yeah yeah, I, but coming back to Bristow's proposal, th that this isn't that right. Like, it's it's just not. It's got some good ideas, yes, but it's got yep. good ideas in the same way that just kind of being a civilization has good ideas. It doesn't actually solve the problems, any of the problems. I don't think. I, I don't. Know. I think it does. It's just it also introduces that other problem, which is Bristow's on top. Like, I, I think what's so great about this offer is that it is very enticing because the mm. majority of it is actually some really good ideas. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I, I don't, 
I think the fact that it's structured to be one person at the top hierarchically just means it's yeah. not going to work <laughs> inherently. Yeah, because all you need is one idiot to end up there, and like, like you know, honestly, and, Bristol's I mean, not. Yeah, yeah, but like Bristol's not as bad as it could get if you're going to have. Uh, oh, it could like get that. much worse, but it also <laughs> could get much better. Oh yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, so no, yeah. I, I, I agree. Like, no, I, I agree. Like, there's there's huge structural problems in it, but like as a core of an idea of hey, we need a network to manage these big picture problems. Like, I just yeah. can't argue against that. And I think we've talked so much about how the Kennet others were like this idea of how can we come together and collect, and the BHI was a shitty version of that too. Just like now, Bristow's proposing this nice third option. Like, I mm. love how this story is sort of examining how do you build institutions like this and. Bristos is interesting because I think it's tackling a really important problem in just a really shit way. But, uh, like, if we look at Kennet as an example, right, the agreement for Kennet is to be one of the in-group, the Kennet others, you need to agree to give your power to the kind of elected representatives of Kennet who are the Kenneteers, right? Yeah. And, and the Kenneteers, to have access to that power, need to act in the best interests of Kennet and maintain a good relationship with the Kennet others. And that's mm. just such a better system to me. Right, like, because people, the power of the Kenneteers, the power of the people who who have all the power to to protect the the world or whatever, ha- mm. comes from maintaining a good relationship with their uh, subjects. Let's call it, and the power of the subjects and the security of the subjects comes from maintaining a good relationship with their elected officials. Right, like, I I agree with that but i like the kenneth system's not perfect like mm. a huge part of it is like oh we don't disturb the innocents in town like you know the goblins can't do too much mischief which i get yeah. but then like blunt just goes to other places and fucks shit up like mm. kenneth while it works as its own unit i think it's falling into that same kind of isolationist trap that sure like a lot of the practitioner families were falling into when they weren't networking which is like it works for Kennet, but kind of at the expense of other places to some degree. Mm. Yeah. I guess the question that eventually will need to be answered is, can creatures like Blunt or Toad Swallow exist without, you know, making mischief for people? Mm. I'm also interested, like, a huge part of Kennet's power was kind of coming from the Hungry Choir. Yeah. Um, and, and, like... It, part of their problem aside from like sharon and, and the other aware's bullshit is the fact that they don't really have access to a continuous flow of that power and it's just like you know the idea that Kennet, even though it was good in Kennet, like but like you know it was being powered by the hungry choir which was like killing and stealing kids from other parts of canada like that's yeah true not right <laughs> yeah um, um yeah uh, so yeah, I, I guess there's one more thing I want to call out about this, which is Nicolette contrasts Bristow's system explicitly to what Alexander had, which was kind of similar to this, but held together implicitly, not explicitly, by what Nicolette calls shoestrings, gum, and ex- and implicit threats. Right? Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm I guess the other point to hit on this is you've touched on why you think the Bristow system locking you in is good, but Nicolette. Criticizing Alexander's system also is a little, I guess, ironic, maybe, but in the fact that, you know, Alexander being in charge is something that Nicolette disagreed with and was able to 
you know, extract herself from because it wasn't held together by explicit vows, which is one of the advantages of the Alexander system. (laughs) It is malleable, right? It can adapt. Yeah, and I mean, this is probably going to be a thing, like, no matter what the system is, there's going to be a situation where, you know, there's never a one-size-fits-all yes uh type of government basically and even if you could make a magically perfect governmental system it would be perfect for that moment in time right like yeah exactly yeah that's sort of what the seal of solomon is being presented as it was yes exactly a great something that was good but yeah yeah um, yeah so i'm just kind of like nicolette i don't know if this <laughs> i mean if you had been in that system beforehand you'd be pretty fucked right now yeah no i i totally agree i don't want to come back to nicolette re-examining her patterns later um but i i i particularly want to call out i think i've been very vocally skeptical of nicolette's like auger coven that she wants to join but we finally get some details on them here and i can see the appeal like Mm. she basically sells them as well i mean trying to do exactly what i've just been warding as the best part of bristow's thing which is like take all this shoestream gum bullshit and like tie it together yeah Um, they do seem to be sharing information and sharing resources to a good extent as well right yeah so you know they've teamed up with bristow which is obviously not ideal um but that again that core mission like i find it hard to argue against and it's like i maybe owe nicolette a bit of an apology because it turns out maybe the grass actually was greener on this other side yeah yeah um yeah no probably it was um so yeah let's um Let's move on from talking about the deal. I mean, Nicolette is still pitching the deal at this point to the Kenneteers, um, but it's clear that Lucy's not really biting, right? I, I mean, yeah. mainly because the vibe that Lucy is getting is Bristow's treating us like a piece, like he, you know, attacking us effectively. And then the main incentive for this deal is that he'll stop doing that, which is not really a good <laughs> incentive. Yeah, she, she uses this great comparison of like, if your bully like just stops treating you like shit and acts like it's a gift, like yeah. it, this idea of he's like I won't actively pursue you is like this big favor of his. Um, yeah, uh, it's such a shitty way to think. Um, but before we actually do move fully on from the deal, uh, I did miss one point I wanted to make, which was mm. uh, so part of Bristow's thing is it's not quite as like strict as a lordship is something they say, but it's more like this loose lordship over a whole region. Mm. isn't that kind of what the judges are meant to be for like the carmine beast and her mates like the seal of solomon i'm pretty sure miss was sort of saying it was set up so it was like the humans have jurisdiction over the human areas and then the Mm. others coordinate between those and and ward over the larger areas so it was like now not only has humanity grown and sort of already pushed things like the judges to the the fringes the places away from cities but yeah. now you've got Bristow kind of coming in here and looking to supplant even part of that role by being a kind of lord that connects the areas. Whereas, like, really, I think that's just what the judges are meant to be. Mm. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, it seems like they're taking the judges' role. Uh, you're right. It's explicitly um, moving away from having others have a seat at the table, right? Yeah. Which is because I don't think we've ever heard anyone at the bhi talk about the judges right like we sort Mm. of heard that in the original draft of the seal it was like they had a very important role 
as it relates to sort of coordinating with practitioners. Mm. None of the practitioners anymore seem to talk about them at all. It's like now that we're kind of acting like Bristow's solving this problem that exists mm. by stepping into a role that's empty. It's like, no, actually, kind of maybe the judges are meant to be that role and just no one's fucking using them. <laughs> yeah, or even the fact that they are others, like, makes it so that they can't, you know, for whatever reason, the practitioners at the BHI don't, don't want to use them or like are yeah. itching to supplant them honestly just think they just didn't consider others in that like, like in that way like mm. they you know yeah i just think they just probably didn't think to use them and coordinate with them in that way because they don't seem to work with others in that in that way mm. yeah yeah <sighs> man what a world what a world of trouble <laughs> um, um yeah. so so yeah I, I don't know. We've talked about this a lot. It's just, <laughs> it's got problems. And I think the Kentis are right for not jumping at it. Um, Avery gets a bit over all the drama of Lucy being so uh, uh, negative, I guess, um, <laughs> and kind of pauses and asks for a reset and, and tries to approach this from a bit more of a human angle. Yeah, because this is after Nicolette sort of does the second deal, which is just like, again, it's just a shittier deal designed to make the first one look good, I think. This oh, yeah, it's atrociously bad. Um, It's kind of like, hey, we'll give you this public service. We will give everyone slightly quicker, quicker or something. Mm-hmm. Um, And there's traps involved. Like, yeah, it's, it's such a bullshit offer. Yeah. Um, And yeah, Lucy, I, this is where Lucy starts to get, I think, like even more ticked off because they're basically saying, oh, like you should just go back to Kennet and be safe and and have the Athenium arrangement there. And it's like it reminded me of what Corbin talked about with, oh, the Oni should just go back to the spirit world. Um, <clears throat> yeah, but even worse because it's, I mean, Nicola is kind of explicitly saying, yeah, Bristow's probably going to make a move against you as soon as he is ready to. So yeah. you go wait for that, and we'll come deal with you <laughs> when we're ready to deal with you. And it's just like, I mean, that's just a bad deal, right? Yeah, like this whole idea of, oh, yeah, in, in five years we can, like, renegotiate. It's like, yeah, when he's, like, established a power base over the whole yeah. region for five years. Like, yeah, what are you talking Yeah. Like, and, you know, of course, like, Lucy is not going to cede ground. We we had a whole thing about that in, like, Arc 4. Uh, so, like, this is where Lucy starts to get a little bit more hostile. And uh, mm. luckily Avery sort of is just like, nope, I'm taking over this and it's lovely. Mm. Yes. Um, so yeah, Avery is being very nice here. She basically approaches Nicolette as a person first and a practitioner second, and Nicolette responds and is clearly, I mean, burnt out and seemingly, yeah. it could be even worse, potentially about to spiral into a really bad place. Well, I mean, yeah, it, it's not really surprising that Avery drags this out so easily because like, basically what it comes down to is Nicolette is just really fucking lonely um and you know no wonder avery could spot that a mile out um because yeah because of what she's done with bristow now she's basically on a different side of the fence to everyone she actually likes Mm. um and and yeah this is that part where i was just kind of like nicolate we we really need to get you to sit down and reevaluate like how you pick your allies and your teams because you keep jumping out of frying pans and into fires Mm. yeah (sighs) oh nicolate I feel so bad for her. She's clearly, I mean, the fact that she can't even take a moment to have a cup of tea tells us how mm. bad things are for her, right? Yeah, yeah. I 
she just keeps sort of chasing the wrong bits. She's focusing on the wrong things, and, and when she's deciding where she goes, I think it's it's so unfortunate. Mm. Um, but yeah, no, I and you're right. I love how like Avery just sort of immediately moves us into like. I think the first thing after Avery takes charge, she basically goes to Nicolette. And she's like, "Hey, Nicolette, what do you want?" And mm. it's just like that's that's such a different pace from what the conversation has been so far. And like that's when Nicolette just basically starts pouring out like everything about herself. Yeah. Um, it's so like, it's so great. Yeah. Um, um, and I I mean it feels it feels like like this this conversation here is a bit of a microcosm for something we've talked about a bunch, which is like. You know, this story is talking about how we can sort of work together, and we were just talking about how there isn't one size fits all. Um, mm-hmm. And I feel like we're kind of seeing that here. Like, like Lucy's great, and she kicks ass, but sometimes you don't need an ass to be kicked. Um, mm. And so, like, sometimes you need it to. I mean, I've, I've, I don't, I don't, I've lost the metaphor, but like, you know, <laughs> sometimes you want Avery in charge instead because you don't need Nicola didn't need her ass kicked here. She needs somebody to be like, "Are you okay?" Mm. And that's what I like. Avery asks people if they're okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. She needed. Uh, I, I think this is the kind of thing where we will see the impact that this has in the future when yeah. Nicolette has to fight against the Kenneteers and Avery's kindness has made an impact here. That would be my guess. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Like, they leave on much better terms than they would have if Lucy had stayed in charge, I think. And like, mm-hmm. I I think Lucy probably sees that too. Like, it, like again, I think a, a whole part of this story is that there isn't one solution to everything, and I think the Kennetiers know that as much as anyone, and that's why they're usually quite good. Like Avery's like, I want to take charge, and Lucy's like, Yeah, that's probably for the best. Um, like I just love seeing this in action here. This idea of sometimes you need a different person to take the reins. Yeah, <sighs> yeah, yeah. No, definitely was the right move. Um, so yeah, Nicolette ends up leaving with no deal. Uh, and then the group discuss the Quill and Regards plan. <laughs> I just want to pull out a quick quote from as we settle into this discussion on the Quill, uh, which is where Avery comes back from her shower and notes Tashlet sat in the chair at the desk, the loose face skin that shrouded her head twisted to one side so that she could feed an earbud through the eye hole. <laughs> her head bobbed. Good stuff, Tashlet. Like- <laughs> because <laughs> I, I i have to admit i'm still a little confused on exactly how covered in eyes tash tashlet is like is yep. it every inch or is it just like 70 percent of her skin is eyes you know yeah um but like the idea that she doesn't really have ears so she's like squeezing together ear holes so eye holes to feed earbuds into oh it's like i love tashlet yeah she is uh pretty good <laughs> <laughs> um so let's talk about this Quill and Regards plan. I mean, it's not a good plan. I don't even <laughs> think you can call it a plan. It's like a trick, right? It's one trick. And it we see that it is a trick that actually d- does do pretty well, but it's not, you, you don't win a war with just one trick, right? Yeah. I mean, honestly, the plan is they're going to order a cheese pizza in his name. It's basically a shitty prank pizza order. Like this is something teenagers have been doing for decades. Um. It, like obviously it's a bit more than that because like magic's involved but i feel like that kind of summarizes just how poorly thought out it is that it's like oh we're gonna order a pizza for him mm. um and yeah yeah I, I suppose we'll get to the end of the next chapter and we could talk about how not great a plan it maybe was yeah yeah i i mean it obviously 
it's a good trick. It's not a plan, right? I think that's the <laughs> distinction that I want to make. I um, think, yeah, especially because, like, at first, like, they started talking about it. I was like, it can't be that easy because otherwise like if that's if that's what this quill can do then it's like one of the most powerful things in the world in the world because you could take any written deal and just change it after the fact and forswear people left and right if you wanted to like i was like there's no way this thing's that powerful mm. so like I yeah i was just extremely skeptical that this would ever work yeah um i mean yeah i was skeptical that it wouldn't work at all but it we'll get to it um yeah Something I do like about this not plan is how they continue their trend of like doing dramatic declarations to ensure that everything hits home. Like, not only is it fun as a reader or in universe, but not only is it like a good thing to do in universe, but it's very fun as a reader just to give a bit of dramatic flair for like, this is why this plan should be allowed to work. Mm. Almost like they're directly appealing to Wabo himself. Yeah, oh, I mean, this is this is that classic premise of, like, the spirits being audience surrogates. It's like, and we talked about this when, like, uh, Lucy was making, like, big statements about why they were attacking Bristow, like, in the woods. Like, the idea that you get rewarded in this world for, like, leaning into the theatrics and making your case like that, it's just so inherently fun. Mm. Um, and this was, like, maybe the one part that made me think, oh, this note plan might have a shot. Yeah because it's not just as simple as using the quill. They do actually have to put some effort in around it to yep. massage the connections. And obviously I think we see later on that it's probably not enough, but um, at least they had to try. Yeah. Like it's clearly, it fucks with Bristow for at least 30 minutes, maybe 45. <laughs> I don't know. Something like that. Yeah. Um, I mean, we also get some insight into the spirits like, priorities here right like lucy breaks a bunch of connections by claiming oh this is fair because he wronged us he wronged the students as a whole and he's just kind of a shit bag and and you know the spirits like remove a bunch of connections mm. and then verona is like oh uh i can do this because we're in this gainsay competition so uh you know i should be allowed to and it doesn't break as many as the other two so like, even the spirits kind of like yeah okay like if you reckon Mm. um and then a avery's is the wildest one to me because she actually breaks more connections than verona's and her point seems to just kind of amount to uh he built the school and probably set up the connections with the brownies so it'd be kind of funny if then they came back at him mm. um and the spirits are like oh yeah that's an even better point than verona who's actually locked into a competition with him mm. like the spirits just want fucking drama apparently <laughs> uh, yeah yeah <laughs> it is a good moment um so yeah the group uh heads off to their next class with their regards bomb ready and bump into the only practitioners and almost get some good conversation with them but a small explosion kicks things off <laughs> we already got the oni goss i didn't realize we we're still gonna get teased with more oni goss. <laughs> we can't ever not be teased with the oni stuff yeah no it's great um but like yeah, so this this sort of bomb goes off because it's basically their signal that their wards were penetrated in their rooms. Yes. Nicolette, at the start of this chapter, was specifically like, hey, you want help with those wards? They're breakable. And the Kennedy is like, nah, fuck you. Or yeah. mostly Lucy was like, nah, fuck you. Um, maybe should have taken her up on that. Off, I mean, off. For, for all we know, explicitly it was Nicolette who broke. It could have explicitly been Nicolette spying on them that caused this, right? Like, That's true. 
in fact, it probably is given what we know so far. Yeah, good point. Like Bristow would point her. He, like Bristow would have been like, Nicolette, break down those wards. Yeah. Um. So man, I wish they had taken Nicolette's help because I bet <laughs> Nicolette could have made wards that she couldn't break through. Yeah, I bet. Like you know, <laughs> who better to get to fix up your wards than the person who's going to be trying to break them down? Uh. Yeah. Actually, yeah, you know, what? I really like that. Uh, that that'll be a fun thing if it comes to light because like yeah sorry that that was me i did try to tell you that you should fix them up mm. yep <sighs> anyway so nicolette pops off this explosion i've just had candid now um <laughs> I, I love how i love how a good explosion can be used in this world right like everything <laughs> just explodes and it sets us off immediately i love it it's just like all right we want to kick off a tense scene what should i do oh, i'll just make something explode yeah, but, but because it doesn't have to be like an explosion explosion. Like, it's not a fiery explosion. It's like, I almost pictured, you know, like a, a shock wave that kind of, you know, like you get in those movies where it like bends the light as the shock wave sort of passes. Mm. Um, like, it's just this magical explosion without fire, but just that sends ripples through everyone's like, makes all the hairs stand up on the back of their neck sort of thing. Mm. Anyway, but it, yeah, it's so cool. Yeah. Lovely. It's very cool. Um, so yeah, then basically immediately <laughs> things go bad, right? Um, Shelly and Ray come around the corner quickly followed by Ted and Kevin who immediately converge on them and start to attack. And it's clearly like Bristow was ready to pounce yeah. on them as soon as they made a move. Right. And he's not, he's not fucking around. Yeah. Well, it's like, which I guess makes sense. If he was like sending the augers to spy on them, he probably had them ready. So it was like, you know, this is like a, like he, he was searching their home. He wanted to find incriminating evidence in there so that he could lock them up uh, straight away. And instead, you know, enc encountered this thing, which then set it off. But like, I, yeah, I reckon these four were basically being held on standby to come in and like capture them the second he found the incriminating evidence he was mm. looking for. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's explicitly went looking for something to find and did and then sp sprung right um yeah 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 um and we get sort of a, a much harder confirmation than we ever had on what ray's whole deal is yes um she's basically uh, kevin has f like fucked with her life to the point where basically the universe has just given her to him it's super gross yep pretty rough <laughs> Kind of fits into uh, Bristow's whole aesthetic, I guess. Um, but like, uh, I don't know, because she seems like a bit of a shit herself. But I can't help but, but feel sorry for her because right, yeah, yeah. Well, presumably, and if Kevin's the only one who can, like, I got the impression it's not just that no one can change her trajectory except Kevin. I kind of feel like Kevin gets to change her direct trajectory. So it's like, yeah. how much is he responsible for her being shit? Like, I mean, probably entirely i would say right yeah. like we know that he the text was what pulled down to her level right yeah um so she could have just been somebody that had a real life before kevin yep. found her yep and now she's yeah like a dick um but it's like not quite her fault because she got dragged into it it almost it gives sucks. me um kilgrave and jessica jones vibes of like a character who just kind of takes over another person's life and becomes their life explicitly, which is yeah. horrifying. 
yeah, I don't know if it's like that severe, but I think the comparison has merit. Yeah. Um. So yeah, that's fun. Uh, <laughs> and I'm sure when the Kennedys invariably have to fight her, I'm going to feel terrible about it. <laughs> but she, I'm sure she's also. This is the thing, right? I'm sure she's going to act like a piece of shit towards them. But let's just try and remember she she probably <laughs> used to be a real person. <laughs> Yeah, um, yeah. So yeah. Uh, so the group of aware are coming to them, coming after them. Um, they they pop their regards bomb and then run inside the safety of a class. Um, they are almost blocked from the class by other students blocking the door until Ray intercedes and you know with his door magic and lets them in. Um, man. Yeah. Oof. Uh, it's a very short but still surprisingly tense little chase scene kind of thing where you're just like, oh shit, yeah. how they're gonna get out of this? Yeah. Um, Especially, I was I was very worried at first because Ray's response felt so nothing. He was like, "Um, please let them in." Yeah, he sends them a formal letter <laughs> saying, "Hey, can you stop?" <laughs> yeah, and they don't they don't listen to him at all. And luckily, he's like powerful enough that he could just open the door to let them in. But it's like, if he couldn't, like, what was he gonna do? Yeah, I don't know. <sighs> I mean, good work by Ray making sure they can get in. But like, so these are the students who are blocking the door. Basically, what they were about to do is stand there and watch a bunch of adults beat the shit out of three 13-year-old <laughs> children, right? Or Beat the shit out of or kill. I mean, beat the shit out of is probably what would have happened, but, like, they would have been fine. They would have been okay with that. <laughs> That's kind of fucked. I don't think they were just going after the Kennedys, though. Like, uh, some well, of the Well, there was others, the other three, like, the only practitioners there, too, right? Yeah. And, they, like, Corbin yeah. was there, too, I think. Yeah, true. So it's like I, a whole yeah. collective of them. But yeah, basically, yeah. you're right. It's a bunch of adults about to attack kids. And we've got our fuckwits like Fernanda being like, yeah, this is cool. Yeah, let's watch them beat these children up. I mean, Fernanda, um, you can kind of understand because she's yeah. a psychopath. But but Yadira is one yeah. of them as well, yeah. which I was like very disappointed in. She seemed cool for a little while there. Yeah. Um, I, mean, I suppose that's the point. Like people can be nice or something until this artificial divide is drawn up and then suddenly they're fucking assholes mm. yeah um but yeah so they get inside to this room inside the classroom they are safe while the class is going on but yeah things are popping off uh they are basically stranded inside this classroom waiting for it to end at which point they become vulnerable again so <laughs> yeah it's a fun cliffhanger again like two in a row we're about to move into the third uh, in another chapter, but yeah, it's yeah. very fun. Yeah, yeah, good stuff. Um, that's the end of the chapter. I mean, let's just get straight into it, right? Because it, the next yeah. chapter just picks up immediately. We're in Lucy's head. Uh, the Kenneteers are in the class, obviously kind of desperately trying to figure out what they're going to do, um, how they're going to deal with the shitstorm that is about to rain down on them. <laughs> um, I love how Shelley is like walking around and peering through the windows as well. Cause not only is it used like really well in the text to kind of intersperse, like just remind us of the tension, like, you know, like halfway through the, the class, there's like a little bit where Lucy sort of spots Shelly again. Um, mm. So we're not ever allowed to like forget, forget what's exactly. happening. Yeah. Um, but also just the idea that like Shelly is kind of going around and getting Ray to close all these windows obviously leads into her trap at the end of the chapter in a really fun, like why mm -hmm. yeah it, it lets it stay in your head um yeah yeah 
uh, the fact so one the windows being shut obviously starts to lead into the no exit stuff but two the fact that we constantly have shelly in the chapter keeps her in your head so that when we find out shelly yeah. is there you're immediately like oh f-. like as soon as the word piercings comes up you're like oh it's yeah. shelly <laughs> <Right? laughs> it's um, such a good moment yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah i mean the kennedys are all kind of nervously trying to figure this out except maybe verona who's like just kind of participating in the class <laughs> maybe or maybe she's like trying to deal with it in her own way by like finding a solution in the class it's a little unclear but it just kind of seems like she's chilling and vibing with this fun class I mean, isn't that classic Verona, though? Like, we've seen her do this a bunch of times when she's, like, like she dives into other things to escape stress. Yeah. Uh, like, you know, this is this is exactly how she, like, avoids her dad by jumping into magic. Like, so now that there's all this bullshit going on in the school, she's just sort of forcing herself to dive into loving Ray's class. Mm. Um, like, yeah, I, I like, I, Lucy's just sort of like, oh, yeah, that's Verona. And I was like, yeah, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it is classic Verona, yes, but still, it's... um, She's really good at it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So, anywho, <laughs> let's talk about these, this lesson. So, basically, the lesson is on possessed objects, right? Um, yeah. So... Literally objectified others. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, it's a fun lesson. I-, I wish it was less hectic of a time so we could really dive into it, but yeah, fun lesson. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I-, I-, I really love the concepts that start to get explored here. Like, this idea that objects are alive. Like, there's this weird spectrum of objects obviously have spirits associated with them. And if you just, like, you know, pump enough thought into them or whatever, or, you know, let them build their own patterns, they can start to become sentient. You get this really, like, blurry line of, like, when is it? just kind of a magical item and when when is it something that's alive Mm. and i mean because i I think thematically this has come up like we've had this sort of argument around like kennet where like remember when edith was just like smoking other like littler spirits and matthew's been like oh i use some of the little spirits some people are uncomfortable with it here but i think it's fine like i i feel like thematically it ties into that a whole idea of like okay so if we're saying others deserve rights which I think we are saying, um, there does come an interesting point where it's like, well, where do you draw the line there? Like, where where do we start saying, okay, this is something that's alive and deserves these rights as opposed to, oh, that's just a bike that you can push down a hill and it pushes itself back up. Mm. Yeah, it's hard to know the line, right? Like, I mean, SIG is a good example. Yes, yes. Um, and hopefully one that we used to explore this question even more once we meet them because i am so keen um but clearly like like they can't communicate or they can't speak at the very least they can't i don't know i I mean maybe they can't this bike also seems about on the same level that sig is but lucy hears them having a joyous ride which is very fun well i think sig was interesting because they were weren't they communicating by like burning parts of a map to show where there were yes. breaches. Like it's there's an intelligence to seek. Yes. Um, it's just a very alien one to like humans. So like, like so yeah. this is part of where you draw that line. Like um yeah. Like this is something that came up, you know, when I when I studied biology at university. It's like no matter where you decide to draw the line of like you create any definition of this is life and other things are not, you will find some fucking microscopic piece of shit that like blurs that line. 
Mm. Like, you know, one old definition of life was like, oh, it needs to be something that like self-replicates or whatever. And then you had viruses, which is like random strands of DNA that get other people to replicate for them. So it's like, okay, well, they kind of replicate and and like uh, active in the same way a lot of cells are, but they don't do it themselves. So a virus is alive. Mm. Um, and they're like, you could see that happening here as well. Like, it's not just as simple as like, oh, an object gets enough spirits and becomes human level sentient. It's like, there's all these different aspects to sentience and sapience that like, you can get bits and pieces of. So it's, it's, it's a lot more complicated than like saying, oh yes, they needed an IQ of, you know, a hundred and then they count. <laughs> yeah everything every slightly sentient creature should pass an iq test before we determine if they have what rights <laughs> <laughs> jesus i'm i'm sure that's that wouldn't cause any problems <laughs> you need all those high iq others um yeah. but yeah i mean like any like that the point i'm trying to make uh, why i picked like is because picking any one single metric is going to be stupid Mm. um i I, is my interpretation of all this and like i think that's that's sort of what's that's sort of what's coming up here um yeah yeah definitely definitely um uh, so this possessed bike let's touch on it i think it's adorable that it has fun riding itself around i think that's amazing (laughs) um and uh, like these both of this bike and musette who are about to meet are obviously very innocuous and adorable but I mean, this bike's name is Ghoul Orbitus, right? Which is so clearly just Musette's like... Name. Oh, is that Musette? I think so. Or maybe both. I don't know. But um, that name is clearly designed to make them unapproachable and inhumane, right? Uh, yeah, 100%. Like, it's that same category. Like, this would apply to a ghoul that feeds on, like, you know, fucking people are just murdered. As, yeah. as opposed to like ones that you know, it's like, oh, well, yeah, I suppose we'll get into Musette's thing, uh, in, in a sec, but um, like, y- yeah, like there, there's just so much about the way Ray handles all of this that I'm kind of like, uh, uh, like yeah. I get what you're trying to do, but like this is kind yeah. of skeevy, um, like he brings up, oh, I love uh others that are you know part of objects because they're much more friendly because they're like more stable, yeah, uh, because apparently regular others are basically fighting for their existence which is yes. like, well yeah like um thanks for doing so much to help with that um <laughs> but it's kind of like as well like i'm thinking on the other side like we had the oni and it was like the oni's whole problem was that they were just being bound to objects so like i wonder how these two facts kind of fit together right like like the oni was sort of being forced into boxes to stabilize um well yeah to become like stabilized and and, you know like more usable by the practitioners and so it's sort of like okay the idea of like attaching others to objects actually has some benefits for the others if you do it right Mm. yeah um yep uh yeah i I don't know ray is an interesting character to be this (laughs) to explore this as well right because yeah ray is somebody that we already have seen and will continue to see in this chapter has some ethical problems, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like he's not, so his heart seems to be mostly in the right place at least, but clearly he's somebody who makes a lot of poor choices. Uh, yeah. We've already had Ray very much established as someone whose judgment is not necessarily bulletproof. Yeah. Um, 
and, and like yeah like it comes up in this like some of the other weird ways he handles the others in this is like he call, he kind of keeps i'm jumping ahead a little bit but yeah. it's like you know with musette he's constantly like oh and you are the cassette player and she's like hmm, not really and he's like but if i heard it and she's like oh yeah that would hurt me and he's like see it's like <laughs> Like, oh right, dude. Yeah, he he strikes me. You know what he is? He strikes me exactly as like, yes, his heart's in the right place, but he's just so indoctrinated into the system, you know, that he would never question the assumptions that that are made. I mean, he's a classic IT guy. He wants the the patterns and the systems to be yeah. precise because the world is a bit easier if everyone if everything fits into its categories. Yeah, um, yeah. Like you know, it'd just be a bit easier if everyone just sort of you know, fit inside the boxes. Mm. Yeah. Um, let's talk about Musette. So Musette comes out from this cursed cassette player um, and she seems a little spooked but starts telling her story. Yeah, I mean, what's she got to be scared of? It's just a room full of practitioners. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's she's already bound. What's she got to be scared yeah, of? Yeah, sure. Um, <laughs> sp- so let's call out this thing that happens where Musette sees Layla. And like freaks out momentarily, and then gets past it fairly quickly. But it's almost like a recognition that that doesn't get explained. That was my read the first time as well. I was like, oh god, have Layla and Musette interacted in the yeah. past? But like now, I'm thinking it's like, well, Musette is drawn to and targets kids who are dying, right? Mm, like, do we need to send Ill. Layla to the doctor? Yeah, shit. Maybe Layla has some kind of terminal illness or just or maybe like is going to die in the next few days from a, not an illness but just like the war yeah. or something right yeah like we don't know how specific musette is like does she specifically sense like you know sickness as a cause of death or is she just kind of able to notice anyone who's about to die and it's just for whatever yeah. reason she drifted towards terminally ill kids like the same vibe with the doom that was hanging over what was her name melissa in yeah, the dance class, yeah. like I'm kind of getting maybe that's a similar vibe to what. God, what's seen. Melissa going to be like when we get back to Kenneth? That was. <laughs> well, I hope thing. we don't find out. <laughs> um, what about Melissa? Yes, so Musette is also very adorable. She feeds mm. by being friends with the terminally ill children, and then kind of like giving them a good final day of joy and happiness, and then maybe eats their body it's unclear but you know i'm sure it's fine um but apart (laughs) from that it's clearly good and wholesome and adorable right yeah i think it's very heavily implied she eats the bodies um that said even with you know child cannibalism yeah i mean nobody's using that body anymore it's fine exactly like i I was looking at this and i was like i can't i can't see why this isn't 100 a good thing to have in the universe she it's like you've got something here that needs to eat the bodies of freshly killed kids and the way it does it is by finding ones who are terminally ill don't have any friends or family and being a friend to them until they die and giving them like a final a good final day mm. like what, what what do you want like and, and fuck you ray for like finding her like she should be out there doing this mm-hmm. yeah um yeah i was i was fully on board with the music stuff i was like eat those kids like you're giving them a better yeah. than they were going to get yeah it's it's a it's a fair payment for a good service right yeah like she doesn't <laughs> hurry them to their deaths I she mean, lets um, go of the ones who get better like there's there's just there's just nothing to criticize about the way she goes about this and if you disagree please hit me up in the comments because i can't Elliot, see it. let's make an analogy here what if 
you know, that the, a real charity is Make-A-Wish Foundation, right? Mm. What if the one condition that you had to sign up for for Make-A-Wish was that they could just take your body afterwards? Would you be okay <laughs> with that? I don't know. Now that I put it in real world terms, it's kind of really majorly skeeping me out. I mean, yes, but like, I, Musette doesn't really eat children's bodies by choice. Sure, sure. You know, like you know, like if we're gonna have others that have to eat human bodies, yeah, this is I, the way to do it. I guess a more apt analogy would be: what if Make a Wish was a machine where you promised it your body and it, you know, spat out John Cena's? Like it could change children's bodies yeah. for John Cena's or something. <laughs> oh, then I definitely do it. Yeah, then it's fair. Okay, <laughs> cool. Um, <laughs> So yeah, uh, Ray notices that nobody is paying attention, duh, and gets a bit stroppy, so moves <laughs> to end the lecture early. I mean, he does, to his credit, he does have a point that just making the class go longer isn't actually helping. Well, it's just, mm, I don't know. I mean, that's not a great argument in my mind. Uh, I mean, why not? Like... They have to face the music sooner rather than later. Yes. Yes. I don't know. It kind of gives me the vibe of being like, you know, oh, you have to learn to swim sooner or later. So here, I'll push you in the deep end of this pool. <laughs> right? Like, if the class had gone on for longer, maybe the Kennedys could have thought more about how they can protect themselves. Or Ray could have said, hey, why don't I make this class go on for longer? And instead of teaching about possessed objects, we can teach about how to protect yourself against the aware or something, you know, like <laughs> there are a lot a of defense, options that Ray has here. A defense against brownies 101. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like, um, Ray could have taken a few options that aren't just like, eh, fuck it. You'll be fine. I mean, he, after the class ends, he does let them stay in the room, which remains protected. Well, yes, ish. Um, he, yeah, and he does do the thing where he offers to, like, arrange transport for people if they need it, which is obviously good. Um, but the fact that he's putting, working so hard to be impartial again just kind of makes yeah. him feel like a tool in this situation. No, that, like, that's the part I have a problem with. Like, like, But that's kind of a separate issue to, like, ending the class, I, I think. But, yeah. yeah. Well, I might, I might just be arguing semantics more than anything else. Yeah. Um, <sighs> yeah, yeah. No, I... Um, but yeah, why don't we get into what a what an impartial man Ray is being here? Because okay, it's like he yeah. gives up he he gives a whole speech on yes, um, and he's sort of like I mean basically he comes across like a global corporation <laughs> where he's sort yeah. of like, oh if I take a side in these local politics and that might affect my relationship with this other guy with other things yeah exactly um, and so he's like you know I can't really afford to take a political stance because I need to you know continue to run my marketplace. He actually uses the word marketplace. Um, to his credit, he does like sort of make the case that his infrastructure is doing a lot of good. Um, they're sort of managing this this new frontier of, of problems. Although how much is he also creating them um, might be up for debate. But mm. I mean, I guess you know, I I always just come back to this idea. It's like, what's the point of doing this other stuff if you can't help the people around you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess Ray would probably make the um <clears throat> the like fully altruistic argument, or or the the purely logically moral argument of like, I'm helping more people by numbers, therefore mm. it's better that I do that. You know. Yeah, although that's like an ironically short-sighted 
uh, like point of view because true if, if Bristow takes over here, like yeah, he's putting he's, a system in place that will last. Yeah, and that will like you know like does Ray really think Bristow's going to stay out of his shit? Like you know, if some way Bristow takes like, like Bristow collects shit, he's going to see Ray and all that stuff in the air, and he's going to be like you know me wanty. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. Like, I'm just Sorry, like you it, just reminded me of that. I was you quoting just, the holiday special. Yes, that's what I. <laughs> yeah. If you guys want to know what the f- stupid shit Elliot is quoting, then check out bonus content show the high ground that is on Doof this month. <laughs> yes, we just did an episode on both the Star Wars holiday specials and. Genuinely, you won't believe which one's worse. <laughs> good. Yeah, that'll get them clicking. Yeah, good. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, like it's just it it was just funny to me how like Ray as a technomancer like really sort of felt like a, a fucking tech company here with the way he's like, you know, <laughs> I can't get involved in the politics and yeah, I, I am doing good, I'm connecting people and solving problems. And it's like, yeah, but if you don't take care of your own back garden, like it's gonna come back to bite you in the ass. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, a hundred percent. And this is again why Bristow's thing is dangerous because he's setting up a system that will be explicitly perpetuated through vows and 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 solid bonds, right? Um, yeah. So, <laughs> uh, um, oh, sorry. Actually, no. Before we move on, I just mm. want to talk about John for a second in this segment, uh, because I, I think a lot of people uh, for a while now have been commenting on how John's been giving off death flags this arc. Mm. Um, and for me, that really became kind of clear when he forms this connection to Musette, mm-hmm. because the Kennedy is kind of write it off as like, oh, it's because she's like Yolda. Oh um, shit! <laughs> and it's like, oh yeah, he just he just sees a Yolda. Oh um, no, don't say it, Elliot. <laughs> but John is John, the terminally ill child. <laughs> well, John's sort of like, oh yeah, maybe it's that, but like he he doesn't seem to get it, and then. Mm. One of the big things Musette says is, "Oh, I lis- I like to listen to music to kids right before, with the kids right before they die." The last thing we see here is her and John listening to music together. Mm-hmm. God damn! I, I'm you're very, a very. Why would you do this? <laughs> no, I, I refuse to believe that John is going to die. I I can't. If that happens, <laughs> I just I can't accept it. He's I, just the, my favorite. I mean, wait. What I'm very worried about is like if it's true, if like Musette just has this general sort of "you're about to die" sense, and and it is working on John, and that's why they're listening to music together. That means we've got like a day tops. Uh, I mean, presumably this fight with Shelley and or the Brownies will be where it happens. Mm. So expect it in the next chapter or two if it's going to happen. Mm. And if it doesn't happen next, literally next chapter, then it's never going to happen. <laughs> and you can call me Force One if I'm wrong. <laughs> I mean, what's great? Those are going to be the like. That's the week I'm on holidays, so oh, those will have to those be, be my chapter. So we'll yeah. get to hear the episode where you lament John's death. If John <laughs> is going to die, Wabo, make it in the week I'm away, and then I'll just skip those <laughs> chapters. <laughs> just come back the week after and be like, "So yep. here we are." You know, too bad so, those other chapters yep. didn't get published. Oh, Wonder well, where John is? Whoops. He's probably John's on vacation. Holiday. Yeah. He's still going for a while. Yeah. John and Yoda went on a vacation, and hopefully we see them again <laughs> by the end of the story, but they got a good happy ending, so let's just leave it there. For <laughs> anyway, um, so yeah, the Kentis are still in the classroom here, trying to figure out exactly what's going on before they can make a move. Um, and Lucy uses this opportunity to try and connect with Avery. 
Yes. Uh, thank you, Dr. Mona. Yep. Dr. Mona for Headmaster of the Blue yep. Heron Institute. I'm kidding a little bit less every time I say that. Yep. Um, yeah. Uh, no, I'm with you. I mean, this was so clearly needed. Um, <laughs> yeah. Lucy says, hey, we should talk, or says, uh, I mean, she says, my therapist said we should talk. And Avery's response is, oh, what did I do? <laughs> right? <laughs> like, she responds like she's fucked up. And that's clearly an indication that she's not in a great headspace. Right. Yeah. I mean, look, to be fair to Avery, Lucy can often be the disciplinarian slash. Yeah, the disappointed mum. Yeah, you're right. Of the group. So, like, there is a bit of a history there where Lucy would approach you to, you know, get yourself to fix yourself up. So, I that's a bit of a mitigating factor. But in general, I agree with you that it's, it's really a testament to, like, Avery's headspace that we're going to see a lot more of in a sec that she just instantly goes to, how have I fucked up? Mm hmm yeah um clearly not great for avery but uh, like avery kind of tries to get through this conversation bit with the vibe of like no you know it's a stressful time obviously but i'm fine it's fine kind of thing and it's perfect that lucy is the one in this conversation because lucy's kind of bullheadedness about this is exactly what avery needs right yeah. someone who refuses to accept her saying that she is fine because she's clearly not fine and so lucy keeps poking at Avery <laughs> until Avery finally starts to give up what is on her mind and Lucy can chat her about it and, and, and reassure her. It's great. Yeah. I mean, you're absolutely right. Like kind of verbally. And there's also one point physically where Avery just kind of tries to run away from the conversation. Mm. Like, like I see it running away when Lucy's sort of like, Oh, how are you? And Avery's like, I am good. Uh, and then she sort of tries to change the topic and it's like her trying to run away from it. And, uh lucy you know in the physical case just grabs her and in the verbal case just kind of as you said keeps hammering it in and uh it breaks through and it's beautiful and it was needed and like oh yeah like i mean avery sort of finally tells someone else what we've known for a long time which is that she can't help but focus on the reasons why every relationship she has isn't like quote unquote valid Mm. um like she's just kind of chasing this connection she had with olivia when she had like a best friend in the world and they were you know friends because they grew up together or whatever and like she's she's trying to recreate something like that and kind of coming up with reasons why all the other ones are invalid because she's kind of scarred by the way olivia turned on her and she didn't see it coming Mm. um and so luckily lucy's here to set that shit straight yeah um i love the fact that they literally can't lie. How useful is that to cut through yeah. the bullshit of self-doubt that Avery has around her? Like Lucy can say, and Avery knows that it is true. Hey, we are friends. Like that's objective truth. Yeah. It's just, it's just so nice to see that being used <laughs> for something wholesome in this world. Yeah, you're right. We're about to get into a discussion question. That's going to talk about the ugly side of, of uh, needing to not lie as a practitioner a lot. Mm. Uh, but it's good to see the positive side of it here where it's like you can use this to make positive affirmations and the person knows that you're not just like saying that Mm. you genuinely mean it because otherwise you're in a whole lot of trouble yeah um it's great i love it It, it's just so nice yeah um like i love what lucy kind of targets here because like basically avery starts listing off the excuses why every relationship in her life doesn't count um 
And Lucy sort of brings up, she's like, it doesn't fucking matter how we met. Like, we're friends now. I'm very glad it happened. I'm glad you're in my life. Like, I don't give a shit. Like, you know, if it took magic to make it happen, that just, you know, means that it was so right that the universe had to conspire to make it so. Like, it's, as, as you said, it's great because you know it's genuine because Lucy can't lie. It's, it's so good. Um, and, and hopefully we'll start to shatter this impression. Avery has let herself fall into of, like... There's oh, some there seed some... of wrongness at the core of each of my conversa- uh, uh, relationships, right? Yeah, which is like, yeah. and, and you know it's bullshit because you could look at Olivia and it's like, she, I, I feel like she probably holds her friendship with Olivia on a bit of a pedestal, but it's mm. like, you could look at that one and be like, well, you were only friends because you grew up together. Yeah. Like, and that, I you mean, only friends that one might actually be true. Blah, 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 right? Like, <laughs> circumstance yeah. breeds friendships. That's how it works. You be, you become friends with someone because you see them a lot, right? Like, that's... yeah. That's ha- that's the prerequisite for every single friendship, Avery. So don't don't look too much yeah. into it. Yeah, you don't need some fucking sitcom meet cute thing for it to count. Like, yeah. Uh, so I'm glad Lucy kind of makes that point, and I hope it sticks. Mm. Yes, me too. Um, we will see. I suppose. <laughs> I yeah. don't trust Avery... Avery to not doubt herself. <laughs> No, I mean, you know, it's not as simple as one thing from Lucy and then suddenly character flaws are fixed. Yeah. Um, I think we'd all have a lot less problems if it was that easy. But <laughs> um Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I do like as well, so to follow this, she like because Avery, last chapter, all she kept thinking was like, I, I just want the hugs and snuggles. And she gets that here. Like, she's got Snowdrop, she's got Lucy, uh, we get Cat Verona who comes in, which I, I I don't know if we're meant to feel concerned about the cat part of the Roan part, but like the group hug and chill is exactly what Avery needed. Mm, um, yeah, no, exactly. Definitely. And, and like, I think that's a moment that lands harder because of our switching POVs. Like just, yes, yes. We don't talk about enough, but I love how this story is letting mm. us see the Kenneteers from the inside and out like this. Yeah, no, you're right. It really does emphasize, like, obviously we knew how bad of a place Avery was in from her past two chapters. Right. Um, yeah. So seeing what this means to her and seeing Lucy take this step obviously makes it land a lot more, which is great. Mm. Um, so yeah, uh, Lucy then kind of eavesdrops on Raymond as the Kennedys stay in their room, still figuring out exactly what they should do. Uh, Durashay enters and speaks to Ray a bit about how to manage the situation and exactly what is going on. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's hard to talk about this bit without talking about what happens next. <laughs> mm. Um. Yeah. Uh, one thing I want to touch on here quickly is we find out that the brownie plan has worked. The students are hungry because the brownies are occupied. And I was like, oh, shit, this has actually <laughs> kind of worked. Like, that's yeah. great. I mean, it was never going to be a slam dunk, but, like, I was still like, oh, it's actually held him off. Although, yeah, we're about to learn that um, they can come back. And it's like, obviously, that's going to be fucking bad. But uh, we can get into that more in a bit. Yes, we will get into that in a bit. Yes. Um. So then the growling thing. Hmm. So what is this? So when Lucy is <laughs> eavesdropping on in Equid's Durashay, she hears a growling. And there's obviously a few options, right? One is it's the it's Lucy's hearing kind of w- trying to warn Lucy that no, something's wrong here, right? Second, yeah. maybe like Shelley taking Durashay's form. See, I kind of am being a bit optimistic, maybe, but Shelley taking Durashay's form is causing this growling that Shelley can't hear because she's aware, but the growling is like a defense mechanism Durashay has where 
Durache's familiar is now going to come fuck up Shelley. <laughs> like, I don't know. That's maybe a bit optimistic, but it could be possible. Uh, or, yeah, I because oh, sorry, I just want to say the growling did feel very Durache. Like, it doesn't throw yes. off any alarm bells as it's happening because it's like fucking giant primordial growling beast is yeah, very Durache. <laughs> yeah, there's a third option, which is, which is that it's not Durache at all. It's um it's Shelly and this is just like Lucy getting a bit of a read on Shelly and Shelly underneath all her bullshit is just purely animal and not mm. and so that's what that is but I I don't know I'm kind of tending towards something of Durache's responding to Shelly's fakery is I think my strongest I, it's certainly the funnest yes <laughs> like the idea that like Durache might come in to save the day because she's pissed that Shelly took her form yeah, I mean, uh, especially when we know we have Ted, who has explicitly been set up as good at taking down the kind of things that Durache has, yeah, right? Like, exactly. I can see a very fun battle starting to brew if that's what happens. Yeah, I mean, Ted is the only reason Durache can't end this in like twenty seconds. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I I definitely leaned more into the interpretation. I think it was the first one you listed where it was like uh, Lucy's earring maybe warning her that something was off because like interspersed between the growling bits is like lucy pointing out little things of like oh that's not quite like durache like there's one point where durache says something and lucy's like that wasn't as like powerful as she usually is mm. um so there's like these little things lucy's noticing little and, beats um, yeah it reminds me of remember nicolette had that ring that would like bite her when danger was coming um like i just wonder if lucy's earring can do that via growls or whatever like if that is just it raising alarm bells Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I don't but know. I do really like your third interpretation as well. Is that that's just kind of that's just somehow, Shelley. Somehow, like the glamour was exacerbating Shelley's like inner ugliness, and the yeah. earring was able to pick up on it or something. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I. It's something that I think we will find out. I mean, hopefully, next chapter when Durache comes in and some giant monster steps on Shelley and kills her <laughs> immediately. Um. um so yes um so yeah uh, durache comes in files the students out of the classroom asking to speak to kenneteers only when they're alone it turns out it's not durache it's shelly disguised and she's here to stall the kenneteers until the brownie trick rebounds and takes them all out <laughs> this is so fun like um yeah in retrospect there's so much like foreshadowing stuff like as shelly's beating up the laptop to break break it prevent the room from changing again uh like we slip into the fairy courts for a bit uh, and in retrospect, I was like, aha, that was a clue. Mm. Um, yeah, I love it. Yep. Um, yeah, great stuff. Um, great reveal. I love it. Durache coming in and wanting to speak to them alone is already like, oh shit, what the fuck's going to happen? And so <laughs> our tension is already immediately high before we even know what's going on. And so it just kind of spikes up and up and up over the course of these like three sentences. And I just think that's wonderful. Yeah, well, especially because it's like a pivot in what kind of tension you have. Like, Durache has this tension of like, oh, you know, is she going to need to deal with them? Yeah. Uh, is she going to introduce some new element to this? Like, yeah. like you, your mind's spinning with all these options and then it's like, oh, no, this is a completely different kind of fucked. Um, yeah. Okay. Like, <laughs> it's so fun. Yeah. Um, um, I, I wanted to pull out one bit as well. Uh, so... Durache, well, Shelley as Durache, manages to get Ray to leave the room and then ends the class. She sort of says, everyone return to your rooms. Dinner should be served in a couple of hours. Um, and Lucy comments to herself that 
Raymond had committed to holding a class until dinner time. Mm. Uh, which, like, the first time I read this, I was like, wait, why is Derusha undermining Ray? Mm. Um, and now I'm like, wait, did Shelly just gainsay Ray? Yeah, did Shelly just cause Ray to potentially be forsworn? I mean, yeah, I don't think we saw him actually do that commitment to hold the class to dinner time on screen. So, like, yep. it would depend on the wor- wording, how serious yep. it was. Yeah. Um, Lucy using the term committed uh, certainly seems to imply a, a, a harsher one, which was at least a strong gainsay. But, um, yeah, I don't know. On the one hand, I'm kind of like, well, Mr. Impartiality, like, you know, this is what happens. Yeah. <sighs> classic, classic impartiality. Um, so then there's this one little beat before the chapter ends where John fires at Durache as Durache is approaching, intentionally missing her. And we get the woman didn't even bat an eyelash. eyelash she straightened looking around. And I just thought this was fun because um, this is almost the exact same thing Lucy did shoot a gun intentionally to try and throw Durache <laughs> off her game. <laughs> just more evidence that Lucy and John should be familiar pals. Um, they're great. They're a great team. And I love them both. And Nothing bad's going to happen to either of them, or else. <laughs> yep. Shame there won't be a chance for them to become familiars because he's dead in two chapters. Mm, <laughs> I hope not. I guess. I yeah. Honestly, I yeah. I'm not super strong at that prediction. I just love annoying mm. you. Mm. Yeah. Good. Stop <laughs> saying it then. The more you say it, the more it's going to come true, as we know from this world. Yeah, it's like auguring. Yeah. <laughs> um, um. Yeah. So I mean, so technically, so. So Shelly sets herself up here. She's like, she's not even the actual threat, really. Going like, mm. she's she's definitely a threat. Don't get me wrong, but like, yeah, she basically says her goal in this fight is just to make sure they can't get ready for the brownies to come back. So like, technically, the brownies are the problem, and the longer we spend with Shelly, the more we're just actually not dealing with the real problem. Mm. Um, so that's like a really fun premise to sort of kick off this fight in next chapter. Yes. Uh, is it's like this isn't even actually the fight we need to be doing. We need to end this as quickly as we can so we can get to the real problem. Yeah. Yeah. Um oh. yeah. It's like I mean sh- sh- if it was just Shelly coming to kill them, I'd be worried for them. And it's yeah. not even that, it's that and <laughs> the brownies are almost certainly going to be coming back. Like yeah, yeah. I don't know. Shelly Shelly would be like a an 8 out of 10 problem and in here she's just the distraction. <laughs> Mm. Um, I, I mean, we do have to account for the fact. Technically, I think Shelley can lie. Yes, I don't think she is, but like, I mean, technically, this could all be a ruse, and the brownies aren't coming back. But I, I, I actually think they probably are. Mm. That whole plan seemed way too easy to just work this early in the arc, especially. Yeah, some doylistic reasoning in. Yeah, um, I guess we'll say I, I'm kind of assuming next chapter will be the Verona. It's been a while since we had a Verona chapter. Yes. Shelly has already been compared to Verona's dad in text in how you deal yep. with her. So, yep. um, yeah, Verona fighting someone who operates like her dad is just too good a stand-in for her dad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Verona can finally fight her dad. Yeah. I mean, we still don't even know what is happening with Verona's dad. So maybe that's <laughs> this is how we start to reintroduce that topic. God, I've got to start building a list of all the shit we need to see when we get back to Kennet. We've got Verona's dad, Melissa, uh, Sig, obviously. Um, <clears throat> what else do we have cooking in the pot over there? Mm. Oh, Avery's got her whole uh, potentially coming out to her family, maybe yep. disaster. Yeah, we've got stuff like Melissa 
the Melissa and Charles gang. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, are we going to bring Seth back to Kennet with us? Set him up as Charles's mate. Jesus they can hang out together. Christ, yeah, <laughs> Charles's protege. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a lot of threads that all are gonna have to come back together, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Actually, and I've been saying when we go back to Kennet, there's no reason Kennet can't come to us. Uh, sure. But I, I think I think the the BHI conflict is going to move to Kennet. I, I don't think it's going to get to stay out of it. Yeah, I agree. Um, and. If I want things to go in a way that Alexander would want them to go, he's going to have to get the Kenneteers to explicitly release him from the deal of interfering in Kennet so that he can help them against Bristow when Bristow yeah. comes to fuck with Kennet, um, which I think will be a fun beat as well. Yep. <sighs> Anywho. Um, well, that's the chapter. Yeah. And now we're going to move on to the bonus material for this week. Oh, wait, hold on. What's this? I mean, there isn't any because that comic last week was fucking ginormous. So, yes. Yeah. Um, if you're looking for bonus material, the top comment on the bonus material is a great little poem from a user called Grift, and I thought it was great. So just go read that if you want some oh. extra material. I have to go check that out. Um, yes. So uh, I guess that's the end of the sh- the, ep- the chapters for this week. Um before we go, of course, let's dive into some pale predictions. Uh, predictions left by the community now pale predictor uh, form. Yeah, what have you got? Uh, I've put out a prediction by Uncle Thermoscales, who uh, is talking about how bright-eyed are kind of using fae tricks. Obviously, Shelley has glamour, um, intentionally fae-ish to come after the fae. Uh, and so we know that there are goblins around, so theoretically the goblins would have a potentially fun interaction with Shelley, uh, leading Uncle Thermoscales to think that Toad Solo and or Gashwood might save the day from Shelley. So, I mean, I don't necessarily think that, that will happen because I don't think it's quite as simple as Shelley's like a fairy, so goblins will be good against her, but I do mm. just think it would be fun to see someone as unpleasant and shitty as Shelley be taken down by two people, characters who are very unpleasant, but on our side. <laughs> yeah, well, well Shelley, Shelley's interesting in that, like, We've kind of had this goblin fairy like dichotomy or spectrum set up like a little bit. Yes. Um, like they they're two opposites are along a certain axis. Um, and what's fun is like Shelley has specialized as being like a kind of anti fairy, but in a way that doesn't necessarily lead into goblin stuff. Like, you know, like a goblin would never use glamour. Um so it's like she's yeah, she's not quite just like somewhere on that spectrum. She's kind of forked off of it from the fairy side or something. Um, yeah. So I don't know if the goblin stuff does come into it. So, I mean, obviously, if she's using glamour, they can disrupt glamour pretty well. But I don't know. Uh, yeah, it, it just doesn't quite feel right to me, but I don't know why. Yeah, no, I agree. It doesn't quite line up, I don't think. But I'd be interested to see a facet of that play into the encounter, I guess. Yeah, I almost think like maybe what's more a counter to Shelley is potentially like not a goblin themselves, but like a goblin practitioner, like America or Liberty, mm. maybe like because they're kind of the same. They're like they're not goblins specifically, but they're they're people who've moved a little bit towards that spectrum um, uh, between the fairy and goblins. Like they move closer to it. I don't know. I guess we'll see. I mean, like obviously, I feel like a phone call to Dan seems like a good idea to stop Shelley, but. Mm. 
I think the story's made it pretty clear that that's not going to work. It, it, like their connection to him has kind of come up multiple times explicitly and been written off. Mm. So I don't know. Yeah, John will John will kill her as she kills him. <sighs> mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> um, who did you pull out for as uh, with a pale prediction? Uh so I I pulled out like a, a kind of similar one. Uh this is from Ghostly Bird, who suggests that uh since Guillermet is so fond of his heroic tropes. He'll show up at the last moment to save them from Shelley. Mm. Uh, and he'll be able to do this because he'll already have fallen to the Winter Court. Uh, and that means that, like, Silver is kind of on his side now because we had it set up that Shelley was covered in Silver because that's good against Fairy except for the Winter Court. So, this idea that uh, Guillermet will like fall to Winter as his heroic trope and then use that to kill Shelley is actually like a fun idea. Mm, yeah no i i do think this is a very fun prediction although it obviously the prerequisite is that Guillermet has fallen to the winter court which again i feel like we're getting back into john's gonna die territory here <laughs> yeah Guillermet is also far away i'm not sure how he gets here um i guess we'll see mm, um yeah yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, we don't exactly know what falling to the Winter Court is, but it does ha- seem to be analogous to death for fairies, so we'll see. Yeah, but how much is that just them caught up in their own bullshit, you know? Like, True. Yeah, I don't know. I guess uh, I guess we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, we'll have to see. Um, now, we also had a discussion question last week, and this one yeah. prompted a lot of discussion indeed, both among us <laughs> and among uh, the community. Yeah, this is this has gone on. Uh, I think in our Facebook Messenger a bit this week as well. Mm. Um, but we're asking: Was Alexander justified in forswearing Seth? Yes. A um, lot of responses. Uh, almost everyone said no. <laughs> <laughs> but there are lots of different reasons. Like I think yes. that's why it's still going to be interesting to dive into. Like our yes. first one that we still got was from Hero of Old Iron, who says no, um, mm-hmm. but does actually agree with alexander's premise that forswearing is necessary for the power of practitioners yeah so it's kind of like hero took this this side of not in this case but there is an argument for the practice uh, of forswearing in general um kind of and i really hate this argument because i can't refute it Mm. like i don't want that to be true but yeah uh hero has a really good point that if you let practitioners get away with little lies here and there, that weakens the very concept of practitioners as a whole. Like, yes, them policing themselves very harshly actually kind of sends messages to the spirits that they are to be trusted with their word. And that does kind of strengthen the entire premise. So, yeah, I, like, I, I, I hate it, but like, I, I can't. Hero is absolutely right. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, there was there was a few other vibes of of people saying so uh, we got a response from hey it's the guy and Sohabimum seventy Sohabimum seven um, who basically said like morally it's not something they can ever defend but yeah strategically sure it makes <laughs> sense right which yes true yeah yeah I, I mean I guess that's the with the word justified uh, uh, you know are we talking strategically or morally. Um, mm. I suppose that's what, yeah, that's what it comes down to. Yeah. Um, uh, we got an answer from Megafire as well, who kind of cheated and just pointed to their massive write-up that they did after 6.z. Um, but I, I 
read that when it came out it's a really good sort of summary like they got to take a lot of the themes of the story and tie them together uh in a way we don't usually get to do so like i definitely recommend checking out and sort of seeing megafire's thing on how a lot of the parts of this story connect um it's really cool but in summary megafire thinks that you can just forswear people who shoot babies (laughs) yeah um yeah god i mean i want to pull out this one let's let's pull it out because there was one response who defended who took the old ruben stance and defended (laughs) this um and we should dive into this because i think it's interesting basically a user called t of um talking about the fact that it was fine alexander was right to do this and they're their final sentence was Alexander Belanger was unironically right, and it's bizarre more people don't realize it. Yes. Um, yeah, I liked this response. It put together a solid argument. I mean, basically, what it's saying, uh, it's a long response. So this will we'll kind of synthesize yeah. it down a bit, but a few things like, and a lot of the points that I had already brought up. So things like Seth having made a promise to his grandmother that he really had no intention of keeping. I think one of the parts of it that I liked the most is uh, when Tiev points out, Seth was a lying fucking scumbag who trashed his grandmother's house as she lay dying and intentionally lied to manipulate her into getting an inheritance. Like, he did do those things, (laughs) right? Um, Yeah. Promised to not do them and then went and did them. So definitely he broke his oath. Definitely he deserves some kind of punishment for it, right? And I guess Mm. the argument is just, is forswearing him the right punishment or is it a punishment that's so harsh that it should never be practiced? Yeah, that's that's definitely like a good chunk of what it comes down to is like like reading Tiev's answer and them sort of saying like, oh, Seth, you know, did do these things, so he deserves it. It's sort of like, well, you know, if there was a law that, you know, you could get shot in the face if you didn't eat the crust on your sandwich and then somebody left some crust on their sandwich. Like, do they yeah. deserve to get shot? No, it's a stupid rule. Yeah. Um, uh, so, like, like I, I feel like that was where the dis- disconnect between my opinion and Tiv's really was, was, like, Tiv was sort of saying, because this is the system, it is justified, and Seth should have known what he was doing. Mm. Whereas I'm kind of like, if the system is this wrong, like, maybe we should tell it to go fuck itself. Like, so she, Seth was like what fifteen when he made this promise. Like I don't think, yeah. Wait, why? Well, I guess why are you awakening fifteen year olds? They shouldn't be trusted yet. Um, and I know that we're following the story of three thirteen year olds as I say that, but like, yeah, I don't know. I like you know the idea that like somebody can make a, a bunch of fuck ups when they're fifteen or whatever, um, around that age and. Mm you know, effectively get the equivalent of a life sentence mm. um, in this for swearing is just kind of bullshit to me. Um, especially because I think Tev also says that, like, Alexander was fair because Alexander may have only done the bare minimum, but that's more than Seth. And that rang really false to me because one of them's a troubled teenager and the other one's a 40-year-old who has just gotten papers explicitly giving him, him responsibility and power over Seth. Mm-hmm. Like, that's like saying Verona's dad is a good dad because he meets the governmental requirements. <laughs> like, 
yeah, like just just because he moral like or it's, yeah, just because he like met the written word minimum requirements for what he had to do, that doesn't mean he has any moral standing, in my opinion. Yeah, no, like, I the idea that's... that Seth was a fuck up. It's like Alexander did nothing to fix that. Like throwing mm. opportunities at him that he realistically knew Seth wasn't going to take doesn't count to me. Mm. Yeah, fair. Um, yeah, no, I I do kind of agree with that. I mean. One of the reasons why my opinion has kind of shifted on this over time is we had a pretty long discussion in the Discord about what exactly is being forsworn. Is it analogous mm. to bankruptcy, which it's been compared to, or is it analogous to like lifetime incarceration, right? Um, I, yeah. I think it's been pointed out that Charles's situation of being forced to accept, you know, effects of terminal illnesses is pretty rough. And that's presented as a best case scenario, right? So, so yep. clearly, it's pretty terrible. Um, yeah. So I don't know. I'm I'm kind of I'm not fully with Tiv here, but I do appreciate the point that they are making that Seth really, really didn't, really blatantly, intentionally lied and manipulated his grandmother, which is explicitly the kind of thing that forswearing is meant to be a, a punishment for, right? Um, yeah, no, I agree. Like, don't get me wrong. I, don't, I and we saw this a lot in these comments. Nobody's saying Seth isn't a piece of shit. <laughs> mm, yeah, um, he absolutely was. But like, when you get a troubled fifteen, sixteen-year-old, and you don't actively do anything to try and make them be better, like, yeah, so, uh, yeah. So this was similar to uh, points left by Bidavella, right? Um, Bidavella says you don't kill a kid who fails to launch, and you don't keep him comfortable. Basically saying. Alexander both didn't help him enough and also enabled him to keep carrying on as he was. Exactly. Which, yeah. Yes, I think it's true. I think Alexander did take some steps and Seth could have more actively, you know, t- uh, utilized them. Um, but yeah. But he it's... wasn't equipped to. And uh, like Alexander knew that. Mm. Like, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I just, I, I, I do failed to hold Seth as accountable for his actions as I think someone like TF might. Mm. Because I do think at least when Alex got involved, he was kind of designed to fail. Mm. Mm. Yeah, you're right. I, I think that's gr- a grey enough area that there's opportunity for disagreement in there. I mean, like, we don't really know how much Alexander has tried to do to help him. Uh, it doesn't seem to be a whole lot, though. <laughs> um any other and discussion yeah. oh, and, and, so, answers? Oh, and, and again, just when Seth made these promises, like if he's only 15 or 16, like legally, yeah. like if we want to bring it into sort of legal uh, analogies, like he wasn't yet an adult. Yeah, he's and not this is maybe, ready to, yeah. Yeah. Like the idea that somebody can slip up at that age and like suffer, like I, I, you could argue that you just shouldn't be awakening people, like I, as, as I already said, but like, you know, it's just ludicrous to me that you uh, put, like give someone a life sentence for something they did at that age mm. that wasn't like really that bad yeah it wasn't yeah. great yeah he was lying to his grandma <laughs> sure that's so great but like he didn't kill anyone like yeah, yeah. um okay uh any other questions and responses that we want to pull out from that um i i just want to yeah i mean landis 963 brought up a really good point which is um like also seth hadn't actually betrayed alexander yet Right. Yes. True. So I don't know. this is like a weird minority report angle to this, where it's like you know, 
you were attacking him for a crime he was probably gonna commit but like you could also just get him to not like alexander did this after the third uh apprentice left like it was Mm -hmm. like you know it was sort of like okay well now that i've already like quote unquote lost the majority um i'm just gonna like tank you as the warning and my power boost or whatever but like if only two of them had gone he could have like he he was clearly prepped to like help seth if he wanted to Mm. like alexander was the one who decided seth hadn't met his goals like that that's what it comes down to to me it's like alexander could have helped seth not be forsworn if he wanted to and he chose to say no i've decided i've given you long enough um yeah yeah he he the the situation kind of forced his hand a bit on that i think but yes he definitely made the decision that it's shit or get off the pot time right well and he did it he did it after three had already left like i if only two of them were leaving i don't think he would have done he did it yeah because he'd already lost his his majority yeah yeah true um yeah uh cool um good good responses to the discussion question we have another discussion question for next week. Yeah, we're diving right into another one because we just got introduced to Bristow's new uh, Utopia. Uh, so we wanted to ask you all, is Bristow's new network a good idea? Uh, and what changes would you make to it? Don't feel the need to list not having Bristow as the head as one of your changes. because <laughs> I, I, I think we all know that's a change we yeah. would make. If you, if you, if, yeah, if if you, you would, would keep Bristow on top, yes. th- then tell us that because that's yes. fascinating to me. Yes. But hundred percent. Um, yeah, like you know, assuming you're not changing it from being hierarchical or whatever, you don't feel the need to explicitly say you're taking Bristol off the top because I'm just going to assume you are. Yeah, yeah. Um. <laughs> yes. Uh, cool. I mean, that's that's our episode. Thanks for joining us, folks. Um, if you want to leave your answers to this discussion question, you can obviously do that in the discussion threads, which we linked down in the show notes down below. Uh, yes, you can also find us on Twitter at MediaMD Podcast or just search for Pale Reflections. Uh, I won't be doing live reads of all of the chapters over the next week, uh, but that's okay because you'll get Ruben's uh, responses to those episodes anyway, or those chapters anyway. Yep, indeed. Um, yes. Uh, so if you want more content from us, why not go to our Twitter where we post about stuff uh, at media md podcast uh yep and head on over to doofmedia.com to get all the cool doof stuff uh we actually just started last year we published a bunch of articles on christmas related media uh as bonus content we're releasing it publicly this year so you can head to the doof page uh, homepage and and they're all sort of listed there in the recent posts um i think that like they're all pretty good um yes i I was always quite proud of my two and and i think everyone else did even better i went back and read mine that has been posted so far which was uh basically the the idea for the article is the joke that um die hard as a christmas movie is getting quite old and tired so i want to find a new movie that you could talk about as a christmas movie that people wouldn't expect to be one um (laughs) and then use that as an excuse to talk about a few different superhero christmas movies um but yeah, I, I I read it and I was like, damn, I used to be so funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh like yeah, I I think all twelve of them are good. So there's like four or five out uh yeah. now. So yeah, go check them out. Yes. Um 
Yeah, cool. Uh, so yeah, you can go to doofmedia.com for that. Obviously, uh, if you want current bonus content, the best way to get it is by becoming a patron. Uh, so you go to patreon.com forward slash doofmedia and you can support the network and get all kinds of bonus content we put out each and every month. Yes, there's about three or four shows now that uh, regularly come out uh, for that bonus content feed. Yep. Uh, as we touched on earlier in the episode, we just released our one on the Star Wars holiday specials. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now we're getting ready to watch uh, episode three of the prequels as we round out the first uh, proper arc of the high ground. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, check that out. And while you're on Patreon, of course, why not go to patreon.com forward slash wildbow so that you can uh, so that you can support wildbow. I mean, he, he makes these stories and he should uh, get your support. So if you don't already, make sure you go over and support him. So with that, we'll uh, well, I'll see you all in like more like two weeks, uh, but you'll hear a lot more of Ruben over the next week. But have a happy holiday season, everyone. Yep. See you soon. Bye.